0: Matthew chapter 4. So in our series through the Gospel of Matthew, this is message number 7 in the series, entitled Follow and Fish. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25, so we'll be looking at the rest of this chapter this morning. Um, to get started, just going to read verses twelve and thirteen. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtali. So Matthew has shown the preparation that Jesus underwent to begin his ministry, and, uh, throughout chapter three and the first part of chapter four. Jesus was around 30 years old when he was immersed in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. He was then anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was declared the Son of God. And then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in Judea where Satan tempted him. And the temptation was a manifestation of the great conflict over the creation and particularly the rule over the earth. And Jesus was tested and in this testing that he endured, um, he displayed his divinity, he displayed his sonship, he displayed his humanity, he displayed his servanthood, he displayed that he was the promised seed of the woman, and he displayed his priesthood. And of course, we talked about all of those things when we um, looked at that last time. So all of these all of these things that Jesus displayed that were manifested during his temptation all of these had to do with him being the promised Messiah of course promised according to the Old Testament scriptures and of course Jesus endured the temptation and did not sin remaining the sinless son of God Now the rest of chapter 4 gives us sort of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at least in Galilee. And this would have been about a year after that, the temptation uh, in the wilderness there in Judea took place. And during this intervening time, um, Jesus was ministering in and around Judea, Uh, And John is the only gospel writer that really covers this time, and he covers that in the first few chapters of the Gospel of John, and so you can read about those to see uh, what Jesus did in that first year, that early part of his ministry. And so Matthew here, in in the rest of this chapter, he's giving us a preview of of Jesus' ministry that he's going to, of course, begin to expound on um, as we get to chapter 5 and work through the rest of Matthew's gospel. But he's giving a preview of Jesus' ministry, and he gives us here three particular emphases about Jesus' ministry. One of those is prophecy. And this has to do with how that Jesus fulfilled scripture, how that the things that Jesus said, uh, the places that Jesus went, the uh, miracles and, and things that he performed and so on, how that these fulfilled Old Testament scriptures. And uh, Matthew, of course, is just saturated with references um, to the Old Testament I believe that that Matthew's gospel actually has the most references and quotations from the Old Testament of all the gospel accounts, even though they all certainly refer to it. And so Matthew makes an emphasis pertaining to prophecy and Jesus Christ as fulfillment. And the second emphasis that we see here is on preaching. And this is the message that Jesus Christ proclaimed. In fact, he he did work many miracles. He did work many signs. Those were always secondary, and they were always um, in a uh, of a nature of confirming and authenticating the words that Jesus spoke. And so Matthew gives us an emphasis on the message that Jesus proclaimed throughout his ministry. And then the third emphasis is on Jesus' power. He is the divine Son of God, God in the flesh. He has power with his voice to command. He commands men, he commands the sea, he commands the wind, he commands devils. He has power in his voice and he also has power to work what we call miracles, supernatural acts that are signs authenticating that he is the Messiah come from God. And so that's the emphasis that Matthew gives us in this little preview of the ministry of Jesus before he begins to get into that Galilean ministry. So as we look at this last section of, um, uh, of chapter 4 here in Matthew, it divides into three parts. So in verses 12 to 17, we see scripture fulfilled. In verses 18 to 22, we see fishermen called And in verses 23 to 25, we see Jews and Gentiles blessed. And so we want to look at each of these three parts as we finish chapter number four of Matthew's gospel. So we'll start here with the first part and Jesus fulfilling scripture. Begin again with verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So when we work out the timeline... Again, this was about a year after that Jesus was baptized and then was tempted in the wilderness. And so at this time, Herod Antipas, who was a ruler there in Galilee and in Perea, he had thrown John the Baptist into prison. He was the son of Herod the Great. And he was what is called a tetrarch. And what that means is that he ruled over a part of a territory that had been divided. So his father, Herod the Great, which was the Herod we read about um, in chapter number 2 in Matthew, his father, Herod the Great, had a much larger territory that he ruled over. And when he died, that territory that he ruled over was divided into four parts and divided among his sons, and Herod Antipas being one of those, and he got the regions of Galilee and Perea. And so it was this Herod Antipas that had um, thrown John into prison. Now, Matthew will later talk a a little more about John's imprisonment and his death by execution, but he doesn't get into that here. Now, when Jesus heard this, he heard that John had been thrown into prison. In other words, the, the word got around. We're told that he went into Galilee. Now, Galilee is the region of northern Israel, and it is to uh, the west of the Sea of Galilee. Some of the borders of Galilee, um, even during that time, uh, historically had been disputed. Uh, at times, they would extend all the way west to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, usually south following the Valley of Jezreel was, was a pretty consistent border. That eastern border being the Jordan River and the, and the Sea of Galilee, was pretty well fixed. The northern uh, was a little more questionable. But nevertheless, it, it was this, this region to the west of the Sea of Galilee, which of course features um, quite a bit in Matthew's gospel and in Jesus' life and ministry. And so Jesus had departed. Now, that he departed means that he had departed from Judea. This is where he was. Remember, he went into the region of, of Judea to be baptized by John, to be tempted um, in in the wilderness. And it was in Judea uh, and, and around that area where Jesus was ministering, not on the scale that he would begin that Matthew's referring to when he begins his ministry in Galilee, but he was ministering there for about a year. And after John was thrown into prison, he leaves from Judea and goes to Galilee. Verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephilim. Now, Nazareth was Jesus' hometown, uh, and this is where he spent some time when he returned to Galilee. Um, Luke did write about this time in, in his gospel account, Uh, where Jesus goes to the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah on the the Sabbath day. And ultimately what happens in um, Nazareth is that he is rejected and essentially they they wanted to kill him Um, and he leaves from Nazareth and so he comes to Capernaum. And Matthew's not talking about any of that here. But by this point, what we know about Jesus and his public ministry is that he has already experienced some rejection and some opposition both in uh, his ministry in in Judea when he comes back to Nazareth and certainly receiving some hostility there um, and he seems to be avoiding it for the most part he's not he's not engaging pressing into um, that he's, he seems to be avoiding that and of course because he is accomplishing all the purposes that the father had in sending him to the earth and we'll see instances of that as we go through his life, now Capernaum was the fishing village that was on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. That was along a very important trade route. Um, the Sea of Galilee, of course, isn't actually what we think of as a sea at all. It is a large freshwater lake um, that is about six to seven miles wide and about thirteen to fourteen miles long. It certainly was a uh, a place of much industry in that day. Uh, and Matthew here identifies this area as the possession of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, the sons of Judah. It was near to Dan, which was in the extreme northern part of the land of Israel. So this was, this was sort of the northernmost part of the possession of the land of Israel, the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying. So Matthew indicates that Jesus settling, as it were, in Capernaum was in order to fulfill Scripture, referring to Old Testament prophecy. And particularly, he's referring to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, which he quotes in the next verses. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. The land of Zabulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light is sprung up. Now when we go back to Isaiah and Isaiah's prophecy, we find that chapter 9 is a part of a, of a larger um, context in Isaiah. So if you look back in chapter 8, chapter 8 follows after that Isaiah the prophet was sent to Ahaz in chapter 7 to give him a particular warning, and that was that he was not to seek an alliance with Assyria, but he was to believe and to trust God's word, and Israel was to do likewise. Well, they were rebuked, or well, this was the kingdom of of Judah actually at that time, they were rebuked for their refusal to obey God's word and their trust in other nations, their trust in idols and even their trusts in witchcraft or sorcery or or um, uh, those with familiar spirits and communion with the dead and that all all of that sort of thing they were resorting to all sorts of things in light of the danger that was represented to them instead of trusting God. Now God had sent Isaiah with a prophecy to assure Ahaz, who was the king of Judah at the time, that this, this alliance that the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria have made to come against Judah, he said, it's not going to succeed. God is not going to permit it to succeed. But rather than listening to the prophet and the word of God that was sent to him, he was secretly making an alliance with the kingdom of Assyria to help him defend himself and his kingdom from that threat. Well, chapter 8 in Isaiah prophesies judgment on them that that will plunge them into darkness and will ultimately culminate in the future time of Jacob's trouble, which is prophesied to be a time completely unlike any other time of judgment the world has ever seen. So then chapter 9 continues from that, But then provides an assurance of the preservation of a remnant and of the restoration of the nation through the Messiah, the child who is given, the son who will be born. One of the famous um, quotations there from Isaiah chapter number nine and verse number six. So these areas that are mentioned, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. They're in Galilee of the Gentiles, as it, was, as it was called. These areas that were mentioned were actually the first areas of the land of Israel that were invaded by Assyria, leading ultimately to the exile of northern Israel and beginning the darkness that spread to Jerusalem and to Judah as they would ultimately be exiled up by the hands of the Babylonians. Now, rabbinical tradition in Judaism, held that the Messiah would arise in Galilee because it was the first of the land of Israel to fall. So, so Matthew is referring to this in, in Isaiah's gospel, and in Isaiah's prophecy, and he's saying here that these people, and that's verse 16, which is quoting verse 2 from Isaiah 9, these people that sat in this, in this darkness, under this judgment, have seen a great light. Now the reference to the first coming of the Messiah was the beginning of the dawning of light for Israel, a light that will fully illuminate the nation in his second coming. So Jesus ministering in Galilee is actually the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy. And If you go on reading in, in Matthew chapter 9, you know about um, the government is given to him, it's on his shoulders, and he's the Prince of Peace and the Mighty Counselor and the Mighty God and all, all those all those things that are said about him there. So his ministering here in Galilee, his going to Capernaum, his ministering in Galilee is the beginning. This was the first part of the land of Israel that fell, and this is the first part of the land of Israel that is that is really going to be introduced to the Messiah and to see his ministry in full. Verse number 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew here gives a sample of Jesus' preaching that echoes the preaching of John the Baptist that we saw back in chapter number 3. In fact, in verse number 2, this is the same message that John preached. It was a call for repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this message of repentance was a call to Israel to return to God, to return to his word in preparation for his Messiah. And this message of repentance for the nation of Israel in preparation of the Messiah and his kingdom actually began to be preached with Moses. All the way back in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 to 45, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 to 31, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, Later in, in the um, time of the, of the exile, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 to 18, leading up to there. Second um, Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. So we can see that this message has been preached through, throughout the history of Israel because the coming of the kingdom is contingent, as it were, on Israel's repentance and reception of their Messiah. So the, the kingdom will not come without Israel's repentance and Jesus is saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand now just as John did Jesus here explains this call for repentance because the kingdom is at hand or is near in other words the kingdom is offered to Israel they are put on notice that the king is here and if they will receive it much like Jesus will later say about John if they will receive it then that kingdom will fully come. But of course, we know they won't receive it. But this is the reason why this message of repentance is being preached. Repentance will lead to kingdom blessings and Abrahamic blessings for Israel. And this is what Jeremiah was talking about in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12 to 18. But not only this, their repentance will also lead to blessings for for the nations. And Jeremiah addresses this also when you go into Jeremiah chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. And of course, this goes all the way back to God's promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 and following. So after this little intro, we get to the next section where Jesus calls these four fishermen to be his disciples, beginning with verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now Jesus here began calling his apostles. Now remember, he has um, had about a year of ministry. Again, it's still it's not the full-fledged ministry that it, that it is becoming here, but he has had about a year of ministry. But now he is calling his apostles. Simon and Andrew were brothers, and Jesus had met them sometime earlier. In fact, you can read about that uh, in the end of John chapter number 1. They lived in Capernaum. This is where Jesus was now staying, where he was centering his ministry. And we're told that they were fishermen. That means that that was... Their livelihood, that was their occupation. They were, uh, what we might say today, commercial fishermen. That's how they made their living. And Jesus had already been teaching in synagogues. He'd already worked some miracles by this point, but he was about to engage fully in his work as Messiah, and he's beginning to call his apostles. Notice in verse number 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus called these two brothers to follow him. Now, this calling is for them to follow him full time. As we will see, their response was to immediately drop what they were doing and begin following after Jesus. That's what he's calling them to do. It is to follow him full time. In other words, he is calling them to join themselves to him to be taught, to be trained by him. Jesus was um, going about as a rabbi. And of course, the customary way that rabbis um, gain disciples was by the individual seeking out the rabbi and taking on their yoke. And that was an expression that was used to refer to um, a, a disciple that had uh, a sort of attached himself to a particular rabbi to be taught and trained by him. He would take on his yoke um, is, is what was said. And again, it was customary that the individual would seek out the rabbi that he wanted to to take on his yoke to be taught and trained by him. Um, Historically, we don't find any record of rabbis of the time commanding anyone to follow them. That was very much out of step of the norm of what they were used to, but nevertheless, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's commanding them, he's calling them to to come follow after him, to take up his yoke and to join themselves to him. So obviously when this is added up, when you see this calling of the apostles, once again it reveals the divinity of Jesus Christ. He has the power of command and we see that um, throughout the, uh, the Old Testament in, in reference to God speaking and and the power, and we'll see this in Jesus' ministry uh, on a a much larger scale um, as we proceed forward. But Jesus also says to them, he commands them to follow him, but he says, I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus declares he would make them to become fishers of men. Now, Again, the the idea of calling and making, calling and making, calling and creating, as it were, are are acts that are actually ascribed to God the Father in the Old Testament, places like Psalm chapter 33 and and verse number 9. And even the very phrase, I will make you, reminds us of God speaking to Abraham, God speaking to Isaac, God speaking to Jacob. God speaking to Israel as a nation. God speaking to David, and and on and on and on. I will make you. He he told Abraham, I will make you great. I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will make a nation of you, and and on and on and on. So again, Jesus is echoing or or demonstrating this divinity, even in in, in this phrase that he is using. That I will make you to become fishers of men now making them fishers of men obviously plays off of their occupation Uh, instead of fishing for fish Jesus says you're going to fish for men but also what Jesus is calling them to is a work that is prophesied in the Old Testament and is a fulfillment of scripture in fact here's a, a section in Jeremiah chapter 16 verses 14 to 21 Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their own land that I gave unto their fathers. Now, already you can tell that Jeremiah is talking about the future restoration of Israel when God will gather Israel from among all of the nations. That's that's what's being discussed And notice what he says, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. And first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land and have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of the detestable and abominable things. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies and vanity and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. A lot of things going on in, in that prophecy. A lot of things in the future. Um, that are going on in that particular prophecy but notice that a part of God's gathering of Israel is that he's going to send fishers to fish for them why because they are dispersed in a sea of humanity they are dispersed among the nations and he's going to send fishers to fish for them that's going to catch them that's going to draw them they're going to be gathered out from that sea and they're going to be returned to their land. So when Jesus is calling these apostles and says he's going to make them to become fishers of men, they're being called and they're being prepared for a special office of gathering Israel. And this is an office that they actually employed through their preaching as in the book of Acts and also in their completion of the written revelation that we know of as the New Testament. Now, I know that they they did that work, and the restoration or the full gathering is certainly yet to come. But this is what Jesus is calling them to. Verse number 20, And they straightway left their nets and followed him. So from that point, they immediately left to follow Jesus. They left their fishing nets and boats and and things as they were, and they followed after Jesus, meaning they constantly followed Jesus. They joined themselves to him as his disciples. Verse 21, And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. James and John were another set of brothers that Jesus called to become his full-time disciples. They are here named as the sons of a man named Zebedee. Uh, They were also fishermen. This was also their occupation. Um, It is possible that their mother was actually Mary's sister, Mary the mother of Jesus. And uh, you can look at Matthew chapter 27 verses 55 and 56, John chapter 19 and verse number 25, And if that is so, that would have made these two actually to be cousins to Jesus, but that's not entirely certain, but it certainly is possible. And they were in a boat, and repairing and preparing their fishing nets, we're told. Now, Matthew abbreviates here that Jesus called them, but the implication is that he called them the same way that he called Peter and Andrew. And verse 22 shows us, And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed Jesus. Him. They immediately left their work and their father to follow after Jesus. And of course the importance that we see in this is the fact that Jesus commanded men with his voice and they obeyed. Leading us to ask, what kind of man is this? I mean, what kind of man would it, would it take to come along and to, and to call you to leave your livelihood? To call you to leave your family? And, and to follow after him? But that is exactly what Jesus did. And then we see the last part beginning here with verse 23 where Jews and Gentiles are blessed in in another little preview that we get. Verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. So with all of the Old Testament references and all of the references to this prophesied kingdom, Matthew actually here at the end of this chapter gives us a small kingdom preview with Jesus before he fully engages in ministry that will ultimately lead to his rejection to Jerusalem and his death. So here's Jesus with his disciples following after him, Jesus walking around the region of Galilee engaged in these three main aspects of ministry, we're told here, teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, the word for teaching, it, it's a word that does mean to instruct in an orderly way. It's a word that can that can also um, capture the idea of imperatives, like so you are instructing someone about what they must do, what, what they are um, being charged to do. Um, this sort of teaching can be Uh, more of a formal or an informal setting. And Matthew notes that he was teaching in the synagogues of Galilee, so that'd be a little more formal setting. However, we also know from the Gospels that synagogues were not the only places that Jesus taught. What was he teaching? Well, what we learn from going through the Gospels and seeing what Jesus taught was explanation of the Old Testament scriptures for, for a large part of what he was teaching. And then we have the word for preaching, and this is the word that we saw used with John. It was used earlier of Jesus when he was proclaiming the same message as John. It's it's the word for heralding. It's the word for proclaiming as a herald. A herald did not stand up and go through an orderly, logical discourse to reason with people to provide them information or to bring them to a conclusion. No, that was teaching. That's what was said there previously. This is heralding. The herald went out into a public place, lifted up his voice, and announced to people whatever the news was that he was announcing. He was one that had been sent to spread the news, as it were, we didn't. They, obviously, they didn't have it on their phones, or televisions, or radios, or 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 anything such as that, or even a, uh, even any other sort of communication that you can think of that would spread the word. These heralds, that was their job. That was what they did. So we're told that Jesus also, as he went about Galilee, he did give that sort of instruction, but he also declared or announced. The good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is, just as we've already seen, it's the message that the kingdom was at hand because the king had come. And, of course, if they would repent and receive him, they would have received that kingdom then. But we know that that did not happen. And the third aspect of ministry that Matthew refers to is that Jesus was healing. He was curing all different kinds of illnesses and disabilities. Now, Matthew is later going, this is again just a little preview. Matthew is later going to give more particular instances of healings. But here he is summarizing. And he's summarizing to indicate all or even every kind of 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 disability of disease of sickness of condition of problem every kind that Jesus encountered was cured there wasn't a single case that he could not cure such miracles were signs that confirmed he is the messiah promised through the prophets, sent from God. But it also previewed the kingdom blessings to come in the future. Because one of the prophecies or one of the, uh, one of the blessings of the coming of the Messiah is healing from all the diseases and the weaknesses and all the afflictions that afflict us in this mortal body. Verse 24, and his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. Now the region of Syria was north of Galilee, primarily a Gentile region. And Matthew notes that his fame or the hearing of him was spreading throughout the surrounding regions. Now this was both because of his teaching and preaching and because of his miracles. Now Matthew, again, he's summarizing here, but he does give us several conditions, um, including things like chronic pain, um, seizure disorders, um, paralytics, and even those that were possessed by devils or demons. And his point is, Again, that Jesus healed or cured them all. There was no condition that he encountered that he could not heal. Verse 25. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Well, Syria and Decapolis especially... And even Galilee, in in many places, were more Gentile populated than um, areas like Jerusalem and Judea, for instance. And the implication in in what Matthew is telling us here is that Gentiles were included in. Some of these healings, they come from all, all the region of Syria and um, all these different areas, Decapolis, the, uh, the, the uh, League of Ten Cities and, and all, of these, all these places these, uh, that were predominantly Gentile in, in many places were coming out all, all round about, were coming out and were being healed. So we get this little preview here from the beginning to the end of this section. We have this small kingdom preview. What what is it like? What is it like for the king and the kingdom to be here? What will it be like? Well, Jesus is here with his fishers for Israel. He's here with Jews of Israel. He's here with Gentiles of the nations. And they're all experiencing kingdom blessings, again, in a preview. No, these aren't going to last because the kingdom hasn't come yet. But this is a preview and it reminds us of places like Zechariah chapter 2 verses 10 to 12 and chapter 8 verses 18 to 23 and Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 and many other places that that give us these kind of conditions and blessings when the kingdom does come. And so we get this little preview here at the end of chapter 4. Now Matthew will Follow this with a a more detailed ministry of Christ. And what he gives us here is just a brief description, a, a summary type description, a preview of the kingdom blessings that will one day come in full when Christ returns and Israel repents. But he shows us here what sort of man that Jesus is and what it was that he was about. His divinity, again, is displayed in a, in a number of ways. It just impo- seems impossible to miss. But his rejection is also sort of lurking in the background. Matthew made that little mention of Nazareth. And he didn't elaborate, but we know what that means. That was the place where he was rejected, where he, where he had to say, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. His rejection is sort of lurking there in the background. So once again, Matthew is showing us the reception of Jesus. Judea wasn't completely friendly to him. Nazareth was even what we might call hostile. Galilee and other Gentile regions were a little more favorable, even though there was a good multitude of of Jews there as well. So it will become clear as we continue through Matthew's gospel that Jesus wasn't merely interested in gaining followers. Jesus wasn't merely interested in going about and attracting people to him because he could work miracles. And there was a lot of that. And we'll see that as we go through the, the Gospels. And Jesus addresses them and handles them in different ways. But he wasn't interested in that. He wasn't interested in trying to make a name for himself in that way. His mission was to seek and to save that which was lost, and that is what he is about.